I can find the tough themes plenty well on my own, apparently. <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 294. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, my new book journal called My Reading Life comes out September 21st, and it's available for pre-order right now. Pre-order your copy wherever new books are sold. Then visit modernmrsdarcy.com journal to claim your pre-order bonuses today. Pre-order your copy now and visit modernmrsdarcy.com journal to claim your pre-order bonuses, including entrance in the giveaway to win five books that I hand-select for you based on your reading tastes. Pre-order today and visit modernmrsdarcy.com journal to claim those bonuses. Happy journaling and happy reading. It has been a long time since we've had a teenager on the show. And today's guest isn't here to talk about YA. Katie Gunthner has long been reading classics, historical nonfiction, and the most formidable books she could find at the library in order to uphold her status as an advanced reader. But after listening to countless readers wax poetic about reading for escape on What Should I Read Next, Katie realized what's missing in her reading life. And now she's ready to trade Charles Dickens for the lighthearted story she's been eschewing for so long. I'm here to recommend books that will help Katie take herself less seriously as a reader and help her welcome more fun reads to her library holds list. And I guarantee that today's conversation takes some turns you are not expecting and that you're really going to enjoy. Let's get to it. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. It's so nice to be on here. Oh, well, this is a pleasure. You are our first teen guest that we have had in ages, and I so appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm super excited to represent. <laughs> Katie, tell me a little bit about your life right now. Well, right now I'm a rising senior, so that is a lot of college preparation. And reading, I like to be an escape from that and just in general high school life. So I love things that are 
taking me away from what I experienced and like even looking into the future, like what could I be? How has your high school experience been so far? Pretty good. I generally do well in school. Actually, a big problem for me has been reading during school, especially online school. I am often reading a book instead of paying attention to what the teachers are doing, which has been a problem. (laughs) But I hope that in-person school is coming back. That won't be such a big problem for me. I hope so. Where are you in the world? I'm in the Atlanta area. You are very close to a lot of literary landmarks and places I was so eager to get to on my canceled book tour for 2020, including the Decatur Book Festival, which I have heard amazing things about and have never been. It is so fun. The idea of just like being able to walk around and look at books. Every time I go, I get stuck at one stall or another and then just (laughs) stay there for the rest of the day. (laughs) Now, Katie, tell me a little bit about your reading life. What is that like right now? I've been trying to take myself less seriously as a reader. A lot of times when I was young, because I was labeled as an advanced reader, I thought I had to read classics and really hard books for no reason. I actually missed a lot of YA books and um, children's books. So I'm even going back and reading those. Also reading lighthearted adult books, which I find a lot more fun and interesting than something like, I don't know, Charles Dickens. (laughs) So weird. Yeah. That's so interesting that you said that being labeled as an advanced reader. I can imagine that adults thought that they were bestowing a blessing upon you, but it sounds like it didn't actually work out that way in your reading life. Yeah, my friends and I talk about this all the time because most of them had the same sort of issue with like math or reading. It makes you think that you have to act better than you are and it makes you try to conform to some definition of better. And for me, that was reading. Like if I'm not reading serious books, quote unquote serious, (laughs) then I'm not a serious reader. What you said reminds me of how something we talk about a lot on the show is that readers get themselves into trouble or at least lose enjoyment in their reading lives when they're choosing to please someone else and not choosing to please themselves. Is that something that resonates with you? Definitely. And I've gotten better at not conforming to the standards set by schools about what good reading is, but I still do it with recommendations from like my family. Like I feel obligated to read books that they recommend to me, even though I know going into it, I'm not going to like it. What's their track record with recommending books for you? Sometimes it's really good. Like my mom got me to read Memoirs of a Geisha when I was nine, and that was my favorite book for the longest time. My sister got me to read. Her recommendations are very hit and miss, but they definitely shape me as a reader. They've made me try like different forms for reading. Mm -hmm. Like there's a short series called Bear. It's a really short novel. But it was definitely very different from anything I've ever read. So I have her to thank for that. She is seven years older than me, which means that in pretty much everything, including my reading life, she's passed down information for me to consume and then test that out for myself. That has been interesting sometimes because often I don't tell her when I don't like her recommendations. So she actually (laughs) doesn't know how to recommend stuff to me. Recently, she recommended The Kingkiller Chronicles to me. Um, one of her favorite fantasy books, and I hated it. And I told her so for once. It actually caused her to rethink it. So for the first time, I'm actually starting to talk to her about the books instead of just reading what she gives me. How was that conversation? At first, she defended the book. But more recently, she was actually disappointed because I pointed out some things she hadn't noticed, like weaker female characters and a kind of perfect main character who never does anything wrong. And that made her rethink the series a little bit. Now, you said that she recommended the series to you. Did you read the series or just the first book? 
I read just the first book. That has actually been a guest favorite on What Should I Read Next? I had to consult our spreadsheet. I've not read it myself, but Jamie Wright chose it as a favorite back in episode 228. If listeners want to go listen to her take on that. Something I'm thinking of now as you're saying that your sister has always recommended various things to you, including books, is that my youngest child, who's only 11, is like watching Parks and Rec with us right now, which is nothing like we never would have sat down and been like, hello, oldest child, let's watch a family show together. We would have waited till he went to bed. <laughs> but now we we do things as a family and he's exposed to his siblings, you know, music and books and other interests in ways that I think really benefit him. But it's a totally different experience than my oldest child got as a kid. Yeah, I think that's definitely been true for me too. I feel like my sister got to carve her own way in the world a bit more um, and try out things for herself. I think like maybe my mom gave her some recommendations, but probably she got less of that just by virtue of not having an older sibling. Whereas when I was growing up, there was always somebody who was like a few steps ahead of me in terms of development. So I'd always be looking at her and thinking, oh, this is what I am going to do next, or this is what I should be next. I'm still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But you're growing up in a home where the bookshelves are already full to some extent. Not that there's not room for your own selections, but I I do imagine that's a different experience. Oh, that's absolutely true. There's a bookshelf in the living room with my parents' books. There's my own bookshelf. And then there's my sister's bookshelf. And they are all three very different tastes. It sounds like you are part of a family of readers. Yeah, definitely. My family is pretty literary, especially my sister. Katie, tell me about reading in Spanish. I was floored by that on the submission you sent in. Oh, yeah. It's actually kind of a funny story. When I started middle school, they give you a placement test in my school, Mm -hmm. in elementary school, if you should be in higher or lower level Spanish. And I placed in lower level. My parents could probably tell that my ego was hurt by that. So one day my dad bought me, at the time, my favorite book series, the first Harry Potter in Spanish. And he gave it to me and I read the books side by side and I actually started to get better. And then by the second book, I just read it on its own. And I got through the whole series by the end of like seventh grade. I had the bright idea of showing up to class with the books until I got moved up to higher level Spanish. And since then, it's kind of been a hobby for me, finding books that are in a different language. How do you seek those out right now? That's pretty difficult because I started with books that were translation of Mm. English literature, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to learn about other cultures. Mm -hmm. However, the books that are available are not great. Like I'll go to Barnes and Noble and it'll be like weight loss recipes and Bibles and Gabrielle Garcia Marquez and that's it. That's disappointing. And I suppose an actual trip to Spain is out of the question right now because I took German as a student. (laughs) And so I remember going in high school and just buying a variety of anything I could at the German bookstore. Like I came home with like little, not quite board books, but like little small children's books of like Babar, (laughs) but in German, which was honestly about on my reading level the first time I went, but also coming home with Bridget Jones's diary, you know, and a whole host of books in between. So how do you, how do you decide what to read in Spanish? Well, before Corona, my dad works for an airline, so he would go to Latin America and bring me back books. Mm-hmm. He would talk to the booksellers and be like, what are kids reading? And bring that back. Oh, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that was fun. I have actually been slacking off on it now because he has been traveling less. He was mainly uh, my big source for literature. And it sounds like he knows how to pick them or how to ask people who can pick them for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was his track record? It was pretty good. So Aristotle and Dante's discovered the secrets of the universe. Yeah. Also, the secret history of the Mapuche, who are an indigenous people. So those are both things Uh, that are very me. I really enjoyed them. 
When your dad's not able to pick for you in a Latin American bookstore, how do you identify what books you'd like to read in Spanish? Or do you? I don't really, because most of what is offered is magical Mm -hmm. realism, which is not a genre I normally pick in English. So I read that, but I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy my English books. Okay, interesting. Listeners, if you have any great Spanish book blogs or bookstores you follow that put out book lists, Katie, would that be a good idea? That would be awesome. Please put them in our show notes at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com. I know that with a site like Book Depository, you could order whatever Spanish original language title you wanted to, but you would need to know what you were looking for. And I was just thinking, how can you replicate the experience of just seeing what's on offer? at the local bookstore. Exactly. Listeners, we'd love your help there. Katie, we were honored to read on your submission that What Should I Read Next helped your reading life recently. Would you tell us about that a little more? Well, I put in my submission right after I started listening to What Should I Read Next sometime in like the fall. It really helped me to stop taking myself so seriously. It made me realize more than I had before what I had been doing and trying to pursue only classics and Also history. I was reading a lot of nonfiction history. I don't know why. Maybe it was because the history books in the adult section looked really formidable. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously they were the ones you're going to reach for. I love it. (laughs) But what should I read next? A lot of the guests would come on and say that they don't feel like real readers for some sort of reason. And then you would be like, no, no, you definitely are a real reader. So I was like, oh, maybe there's other things I can read and it's not a big deal. Well, I'm so glad to hear it. I think it's easier to analyze a reading life that's not our own. And I'm really glad that listening to other people talk about their experience was really helped you reflect on your own. That is absolutely true. I must have listened to like 50 episodes before I sent in my submission. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are so glad you did. And thank you for that. I'm so curious to hear not only what you chose, but how you chose it. So it was hard because I don't really believe in favorite books. But these books represent different aspects of what I enjoy to read. So I hope it it reaches the spectrum. There's not a lighthearted comedy on there, and I wish there were, but I couldn't think of a perfect example because it's just like, in general, lighthearted comedies. So that's a future favorite that you're hoping for, except you just said you don't believe in favorites. So tell me more about that, please. People's opinions change over time, and there's different favorites for different reasons. So I guess there are favorites. It's just hard to pick one. Completely concur. Katie, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you've loved, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. So what's book one? Book number one is Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. This is probably the first memoir I ever read. This was from my sister. Again, her broadening my horizons. I must have picked it up when I was like nine or 10. Really serious book in some aspects. I don't know if you've read it. I have. The first time I actually was introduced to this book was by, oh, what should I read next guest? It was Laura Summerhill, who talked about rebuilding her life in her library after Hurricane Harvey swept through the Houston area. And Mm -hmm. she chose it as a favorite back on episode 148. But it was new to me then. I think that's amazing that your sister could introduce it to you at such an early age and that it stuck with you for so long. Yeah, definitely. I haven't listened to that episode, but I can kind of see why that listener might have been interested in that book. Tell me more about your reading experience with it. Well, at the time, since I was really young, the idea of 
real people's lives being difficult wasn't really real to me. So I would read a lot of history books and be like, oh, in the Middle Ages, these things happened. But this happened to a woman who was my mother's age. A bunch of traumatic war experiences, figuring out her identity. In the end, I think some of the most traumatic things weren't war, but her relationships with other people. And I thought that was raw of her to share. I suppose you could say made me realize that adult life isn't as straight and narrow as I thought it was at the time. And this happens to be a graphic memoir. Yeah, another reason why I picked it is because I wanted to represent that I do like graphic memoirs or graphic novels in general. Ooh, we will keep that in mind. (laughs) Katie, what did you choose for book two? Book two came from What Should I Read Next? The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by B.E. Schwab. Oh, that makes me happy. I love this book because... It's kind of magical realism now that I'm thinking about it, in a way, which I normally don't like. But I just really loved how in-depth this writer got with her character. And her character wasn't all good or all bad. She just made decisions and lived with the consequences. And there wasn't a magical solution ending either. There wasn't a fairy tale ending. Also, I thought the romances in it were very, very good. So it sounds like you really loved well-developed, realistic characters with a fantastical element that Mm -hmm. really worked for you. So I do love those aspects. I also picked it because Persepolis was more of a representation of how I've been shaped as a reader. And this one represents what I've been drifting towards recently. What does book three represent? Book three represents that I really love exploring other cultures. I, I love it especially when I can relate to the character, but they're in a completely different situation from me. That is so fascinating to me. It's a fantasy book set in Nigeria, and the character is an albino teenage girl who learns how to navigate her magical abilities with the help of a strong friend group and mentors. So I really love the adventure in it. I love how the magic works because it's very different from Harry Potter, which at the time was the only other fantasy book I had read. And it's also another recommendation from my sister. So more evidence of how she gets me to read authors that are from other cultures, like authors I wouldn't have encountered in the school library. That is such a great way to put it. Tell me more about your interest in exploring other cultures. So I think I'm so interested in it because I don't like reading books that are too close to my own experience, like Uh high school or privileged white people. I, I do enjoy reading books with white characters, but like just people who have the exact same experience as me is a bit boring. But I do also like being able to relate to the characters, especially if they're my own age. So removing it and putting it in a different culture lets me see a person who's like me, but living a different life. Now, Katie, how did you choose the book that wasn't right for you? (laughs) So the book that wasn't right for me is The Glass Castle. And I feel like that one might be controversial because I think it was a very popular book at a certain time. I read this in middle school for a book club, and a lot of people in that book club liked it a lot. They thought it was really interesting, a depiction of a different sort of lifestyle. But I didn't like it because I felt like the author should have written the memoir 10 years later. I feel like she was exploring a lot of her childhood trauma. I feel like her parents were genuinely abusive, and she kind of wrote it off. Like she gaslit her own feelings in the situation. I want to start by saying a book can be very popular and you can still not enjoy the reading experience. That happens all the time and it is okay. Thank you. (laughs) It doesn't have to be controversial. I mean, in fact, I think for many readers, it can be a lot of fun to have that experience of going, oh, I didn't like that either. And it felt like everybody else did. 
That's really interesting, though. That's not what I expected you to say, which was some version of what a difficult childhood. That was painful to read about. Like, that's what I expected. But I hadn't heard the take that a little more perspective might have served the story well. Yeah, it was hard to read about her childhood. That's for sure. But I do not mind reading books that are about difficult topics. I find it Mm -hmm. interesting sometimes. I have noticed, however, that the older I get, the more difficult it is for me to read about people's experiences that were difficult. I think that I read a lot of books too soon when I was a child. And I think that I'm starting to develop um, more empathy. And that is making Mm -hmm. it more difficult for me to read certain topics. Tell me more about reading books too soon. Well, another interesting thing about having a much older sibling is that you get stuff really early. Parental controls that your older sibling might have had, you don't have anymore because the older sister has it. So, you know, why not just share it anyway? I've never been banned from reading books. I've been banned from reading two books, actually, but I read them anyway, so it hardly counts. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was um, Orange is the New Black, which I did not like as much as I thought I would. And Hyperbole and a Half, which I almost included as one of my favorites because that book is amazing. You said something interesting on your submission actually about Hyperbole and a Half. At the time, there were themes that were difficult for you to grasp. And then when you came back to them a little later, here, I'll let you take over. So the reason I wasn't allowed to read Hyperbole and a Half wasn't dirty jokes or anything like that. I don't think my parents really ever cared about that. They figured if I'm old enough to look at the page and read it, I can read the book. But the depression, there were some descriptions of her depression in there that my parents thought would negatively affect me. They didn't at the time, but only because I did not get it. There's one scene where she's lying on the floor of her kitchen, like staring at a piece of corn under her fridge or something. And I just remember reading that and being like, this isn't very funny anymore, but I finished the chapter and just moved on. In retrospect, I can definitely see why my parents didn't want me to read it. I think actually if I read it now for the first time, then I would have understood it and it would have made me more sad. Recently, I read Solutions and Other Problems, her follow-up, and I also know some context about events that have happened in her life. That was definitely darker, but I still enjoyed it. Katie, what have you been reading lately? I go through books pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. but right now I'm reading The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin, and I am really enjoying it. I was talking to Brenna on the test call yesterday about it, and I mentioned I hadn't really been able to get into it. But then she told me that one of your guests, I think, was like a geologist or something, and he said that... The author uses a lot of inside jokes about rocks. And I thought that was so funny. I went up and picked it and now I'm almost done. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I'm so glad. It seems like N.K. Jemison would be a really great fit for you based on what you enjoy. And I'm so glad it's working out that way. I read How Long Till Black Feature Month about uh-huh. a month ago. And that that's what got me to pick up the series because I was like, wow, these are these are really good examples of writing. Just the way she writes She leaves breadcrumbs for the reader. She doesn't tell you everything all out and she doesn't hold your hand, but you get it in the end, which I I really enjoy that. I know that you have just begun a trilogy. However, have you read her work, The City We Became? I haven't. Okay, the seeds of that book are in How Long Till Black Future Month. I'm just saying, if you want more N.K. Jemisin in your life, you could roll right into The City We Became, which is the first in the plan trilogy. It came out last summer. I I think it could be a great fit for you, especially if you did love How Long Till Black Future Month, because that was the germ of this trilogy that's rolling out now. That's so fascinating. I'm sure I will be sure to check that out. Okay. Katie, we've touched a little bit on what you're looking for right now in your reading life, but let's come back to it for a moment. I'm especially curious to hear you say more about the balance of wanting to read books that are fun and also hearing you describe your favorites now, which are all not light reading. 
Yeah, I know. That's so funny, isn't it? We, we're readers. We contain multitudes. It's, it's fine, but I'd love to hear you explore that tension a little bit before we choose books for you. Here's the thing. My favorites are books that I feel like have profoundly impacted me and represent a lot of the elements in writing that I like. But I like lighthearted books a lot. None of them stand out to me enough to be a favorite, if that makes any sense. But that's still something you want in rotation in your reading life because you enjoy the experience, even if you're not going to point back and say, yes, that was the best book I read in 2021, bar none, the end. Yeah, exactly. If I could use a a school metaphor here, it's kind of like my favorites are A pluses. And then generally that style of writing is like a B or an A minus, whereas lighthearted books would be an A. There's just not as many A pluses there. Fun and lighthearted. At what point did you realize this is, is it fair to call it a gap that you wanted to fill in a bit in your reading life? It might've been like last September when I started listening to your podcast, I realized all these adult women were reading these fun, lighthearted books, stuff like, I don't know, Bridget Jones' Diary, stuff that I would have considered not serious, not real books at the time. And then therefore maybe like not worth your time, like, oh, serious readers wouldn't deign to read like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And since then, I've been trying to, I've been using your blog posts on Modern Mrs. Darcy, as well as other blogs to like pick out good books. And I put them on my story graph. And that way I can like crowdsource to get lighthearted books. So that could be anything that explores like cute love stories or big life changes. One of my favorite lighthearted series has been The Bookshop on the Corner by Jenny Colgan, I think. Yeah, Like, I really love that because it's like, you know how it's going to end, you know how it's going to come together, and you're just along for the ride, and it's really fun. Okay. It's interesting how you add one book to your whiteboard, and it totally changes the connections you you can make between the titles. Okay, Katie, let's recap. Your favorites are Persepolis, The Story of a Childhood by Marjane Satrapi, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab, and A Katowicz by Nettie Okorafor. Not for you, the very popular, but not right, um, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. And currently you are reading The Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemison. And you want some books that are fun and don't take themselves super seriously, not necessarily packed with tough themes. I can find the tough themes plenty well on my own, apparently. (laughs) Okay, let's see what we can do here. I noticed that you really loved graphic memoirs and novels, even though you maybe don't read as many of them as you might, were your library situation a little bit different. The first book that comes to mind when I think of something that's just fun and delightful is a graphic novel by Ngoze Ukazu called Check, Please. Have you read this? No, I haven't. I've never even heard of it. Oh, that makes me so happy. Well, it was first put on my radar, I believe, by podcast guest Liberty Hardy, the um, Book Riot podcaster who reads 600 plus books a year because it is her job to do so. And our producer, Brenna, heard the cut from the episode and said, Anne, you have to read that book. And I did. And it's so much fun. This is a graphic memoir set in the world of hockey. Check, please, is referring to like the physical contact in hockey where you check somebody. If you actually play hockey and are listening right now, I'm sure you're cringing at the way I'm describing this. I clear, I've, I've been to a hockey game, maybe even two <laughs> hockey games, but that's about it. But you do not have to be a hockey lover by any means to enjoy this. So this is actually about a 
college hockey team. And the protagonist is named Eric Biddle, and he is a Georgia hockey player who graduates high school and becomes a freshman on the Samwell University hockey team. And he's a figure skating champion. He has a vlog that comes into the action of the book. He's a baker. This book has so much pie in it, Katie, and that could be really fun. But this has been described as a coming of age and coming out of the closet story where everything goes right. He goes to school. He's starting this new life in this new place. And he's got to figure some stuff out, how to be a person and how to create life for himself and how to be as a freshman, like how to become an integral part of a well-formed team where, you know, he's new and he's small and he's inexperienced in the world of college hockey. But he, you know, wins everybody over with pie and friendship. And it's just a really fun story. And a backstory here is that it was originally published as a web comic. The illustrations add a lot to the story. Like most of the meaning is carried like in the expressions on the faces. And there's some hockey hijinks and pranks to add even more of a comedic factor. And I know you said that you don't need funny novels to bring that lightheartedness that you're looking for. And I wouldn't describe this as a comedy, but it certainly has funny elements that I think could bring some of that levity that you're looking for to your reading life. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Well, the lightheartedness sounds awesome, but especially the fact that it's taking place at the beginning of college, like that's just enough escapism for me. Like that's the future. I love that. That's the future. And I didn't even realize the Georgia connection until <laughs> until I opened my mouth and went, wait. I thought it was funny that he's a hockey player and he's from Georgia. That is not a very common sport here. <laughs> um, no, the ice melts pretty quick down south. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that was Check, Please by Ngozi Ukazu. I hope there are more books coming out in this series. Right now, there's a one and a two that I, I got mine bound together when I checked my version out of the library. Mm -hmm. But I would really love some more or some more work by Ukazu. Next, I'm thinking of a series that takes classic, very serious works of literature, turns them on their head and has a lot of fun with them. Does that sound promising? That sounds very promising. So the series I'm thinking of is called The Lady Janies. It's by three authors, which is really actually funny. It's Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, Jody Meadows. I believe they were all YA novelists in their own right. And they have this really funny story in their acknowledgments that says, yep, we were unconnected. We had different agents, different publishers. And we said, hey, folks, we want to write a book together. Can we make that happen? And everybody <laughs> had a huge collective groan and headache. And then they did. So it's called The Lady Janies because in this series, they're writing about the Janes of literature and of history. So far, the series is My Lady Jane, which is about Jane Grey, the Queen of England who reigned for something like nine days. Jane Eyre, I'm sure you know Jane Eyre, and My Calamity Jane is the third book in this series. So here's what they do with history. So in My Lady Jane, Jane Grey is cousin to the King of England, Edward. He's dying, but not for quite historically accurate reasons. He's 16. In the beginning of the book, he's just really upset that he's dying because like he hasn't even been kissed yet. And they make all these kissing jokes in the book. But Jane gets married at her cousin's request only to find out that her new husband is a horse. He's an Ethian. These Ethians turn into animals at various times. It's a power they have. Sometimes they can control it. Sometimes they can't. Jane is desperate to become an Effian. Her husband doesn't want her to know that he's a horse. Very real history. 
completely ridiculous element. And also all these inside jokes, like somebody will sit in a chair that's very uncomfortable and the authors will like step in for a second to be like, oh, we researched all the chairs of history. And yes, this is in fact the most uncomfortable. She's not messing around. It's just delightfully silly and yet also really smart and savvy because in order to do what these authors are doing with history and with literature, you got to know it inside out. You got to trust your reader to like get like the huge winks they're throwing your way. How does that sound? That sounds so good. All of it. There's no way you could have known this, but I actually, especially when I was little, was super interested in Tudor history. So really? Right up my alley. Yeah. It's also fun to see a book that's not historical enough. Like it changes what happened and it's doing it on purpose. So that that will be super fun. I am thrilled to hear it. There's all kinds of little like Easter eggs for the reader. Like in my plain Jane, the one about Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre can see ghosts because of course she can. And there's a whole society for the relocation of wayward spirits that's trying to recruit her because of her special skill set. But there's all kinds of movie jokes and references. Like there's so many Princess Bride jokes throughout the book. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. So that was My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. Three books to the series so far. I say so far because I don't I don't know how many Janes there are, but I hope they find some more to write about. And then let's go along the lines of Addie LaRue. How does that sound? That sounds great. The book I'm thinking of is How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. Is this one you've read? No, it isn't. Okay, so here's the premise of this book, and you'll see why it's vaguely Addie LaRue-ish. This is the story of a man who doesn't age. Exactly. His name is Tom Hazard, which I have to say is just an awesome name for a protagonist in a story like this. But he was born in 1581. In the present day, he looks like he's just a 40-year-old teacher in London. Haig is a British author. But that's because he has this rare genetic disorder that means that for every year he lives, you or I would live like 14 In 1581, he's only racked up the equivalent of 41 years on this earth. And of course, this is mostly a curse and not a blessing because just like Addie LaRue, he's always lonely. You know, when he gets to know people, he sees them grow old and die or terrible things happen to him. But he knows that he can only die in one of two ways. He's either going to reach the age of 950 and die in his sleep, or he's going to die in some act of violence that in in the prose, it's like destroys heart or brain or causes a profound loss of blood. And those are the only things that can kill, they call them albatrosses in the book, the long-lived humans. They have immunity from so much human pain, but because of that, they're also isolated from it and the people who experience it. Two things that are really fun in this book. One, while he is alone, he is not the only one who has this rare genetic disorder. So throughout the book, he's crossing paths with people having the same experience he does, and they get to compare notes in a way that's really a lot of fun. But Also, he gets to meet all these characters of history. So you see him like drinking ale with Shakespeare and, you know, living it up. So it's got that fun historical element. Or he's meeting like Zelda and Scott Fitzgerald or Lillian Gish. And these little vignettes of his life across centuries, but the same person is a little head spinning but also really fun. So you're looking for something that is fun. How many times have I said fun now, Katie? But his themes are really very serious. Like he's writing about time and love and what binds us together as people and humanity, but he's doing it in a way that's really clever and 
different enough to, to make you go like, oh, I didn't know this is what I needed on my bookshelf. I remember you saying also that you really enjoyed well-written like self-help and nonfiction. You mentioned Ali Brosh and Hyperbole and a Half. He's written extensively about his experience with suicidal depression. And he's done that in, I wouldn't call them self-help books, but he has definitely done them in a nonfiction, personal growth kind of way in books like Reasons to Stay Alive. And he has a new one just out summer 2021 called The Comfort Book. And I think this book, How to Stop Time, might be a nice introduction to Hague for you, but you may also enjoy his nonfiction writing as well. Maybe we can make this a twofer for you. (laughs) Yes, I can include that. It sounds like he is a guy who would have like the human experience and the depiction of characters down really well in his fiction writing. I hope that's how you experience this book. (laughs) I I think these are great books for older or more mature teen readers to read. So the books we talked about were Check, Please by Ngoze Ukazu, My Plain Jane and the whole Lady Janie series by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows, and How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. Of those books, what do you think you'll enjoy reading next? My 17th birthday is coming up, so I know that I'm getting all three of them as a present very soon for my parents. Oh, thanks, Mom and Dad. That's so nice. Yeah, I know. I'm very happy about that. But I do have to pick one to pick up physically first. I think I'm going to read My Lady Jane first. I think I'll save the graphic novel. I want to be able to like take my time with that because it's so easy to breeze through a graphic novel. I hope that's a wonderful reading experience and I can't wait to hear what you think. Katie, this has been a delight. Thanks so much for talking books with me. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Katie and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at what should I read next podcast.com slash 294. And it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe to what should I read next now? So you don't miss our new episode next week in Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, and more show your support for what should I read next by sharing this episode with a friend or leave a review on Apple podcasts. It's quick, simple, and helps new readers find us. We love when you spread the book love. If you love the show, we've got more good stuff for you in our Patreon community. Visit patreon.com slash what should I read next to learn more and get started. To support the show in a tangible way, signing up here is a great place to do it. Patreon.com slash what should I read next. Follow us on Instagram at what should I read next or sign up for our free weekly newsletter at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What should I read next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, 
Agatha Christie's Poirot and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe and others. I'm Christopher and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.